0: Welcome to Talking Walking, hosted by Andrew Stuck from Rethinking Cities and the Museum of Walking. Talking Walking brings you interviews with people from the world of walking, artists, activists, professionals, and those of us who have a passion for just taking a walk. Hugh Lupton is a storyteller living in East Anglia who's been walking the lanes and ways of Norfolk, learning stories through walking and sharing them across the globe. We meet on a cold and windy day in April, on one of his favourite walks beside the River bure and talk about how people can value place in a different way if they have a sense of the narratives that are associated with it. It's not the first time we've met. Both of us took part in the Sideways Nomadic Art Festival that included a walk across Belgian Flanders in 2012. So just tell us a little bit about where we are.
1: Well, we're in Borough, and uh, we've got our backs to Borough Church, and we're heading towards the River Bure, which is one of the bigger Norfolk rivers. Yeah, we're about to cross a very rickety old bridge, which is only allowed a few people at a time, because it might tip over.
0: Have you always worked and... Performed in in the East Anglian area, or you travel no, further? No, I,
1: I work all over the place. I've, I've been based in East Anglia for a long time, but I seem to work well. You know, we met in Belgium, all over Europe, and a bit in the States and Canada, and the occasional British Council trip to Africa and South okay. America. So,
0: yeah. It's, you're a storyteller and performer. T- tell us a little bit about how that all came about.
1: Yeah, well, it came about partly through uh, the ballads, the folk music. I got very, when I was in my late teens, I got very interested in those big, sprawling border ballads, little Musgrave and Lady Barnard and Tam Lin and things like that. I used to perform them, and and then I got interested in the stories. I'd always been interested in folk tales, actually. But I got interested in the idea of performing the stories. At the same time, in East Anglia, there were fairs called Albion fairs. There would be several over a summer. I used to go along to those as this character called Billy Bullshit. And, <laughs> and I'd have a sandwich board, one pea fib, two pea whopper, and I would tell lies on any subject that was given. And that was that was sort of my apprenticeship in a way in storytelling, thinking on my feet, and uh, yeah, totally improvised, yeah <laughs> but actually my real my real interest, my central interest is in the old stories, these stories that have been carried by the oral tradition, by memory
0: and of um, which uh, is East Anglia rife with them
1: <laughs> there's, there's a lot in East Anglia, yeah. But also I tell a lot of Celtic stories as well um, and Norse, and a lot of Greek mythology, Russian stories, you know, I've, I've, I tell stories from many different cultures, but yeah, a lot of East Anglian stories.
0: And were, um, were you trained as an actor or, no, or, no, or just, it, you just came it fell just, into it as a it, musician? Yeah.
1: Storytelling, in a way, is quite close to song, you know, this the, the cadence of the spoken voice it was a kind of natural progression the refrains that you get in mythology and traditional stories You know the sort of Homeric epithets you get in the Iliad and the Odyssey the fee-fi-fo-fums so yeah, it's, it's close to song in many ways and the more I told stories the more I got interested in the relationship between story and place.
0: You've led on to that very well, because that was the next thing I was going gonna... uh, right. to... Yeah. <laughs> but keep going.
1: And you have this interesting thing, in a way, that happens with stories, in that you'll find a story that's specific to a place. Like, for example, a well-known local story here is the story of the peddler of Swatham, who um, has a dream in which he hears a voice telling him to go to London Bridge the dream repeats itself and repeats itself and finally he takes off the, the london bridge with his dog it takes some days to get there when he gets there he walks across the bridge and nothing happens and he walks back and forwards and backwards and forwards and his money's gone and his belly's yawning and groaning with hunger and he thinks why did i waste my time listening to dreams and a shopkeeper on the bridge stops him and says stranger you know, all today you've been wandering backwards and forwards, what's the matter with you, a lost soul? And he said, well, I had a dream, and in the dream I heard a voice, and it said, go to London Bridge. And the shopkeeper says, you don't want to take any notice of dreams. Last night I had this ridiculous dream. I dreamed I was in a place, what was it called, um... Swathen. and I dreamed I had a spade in my hand and I was digging under the roots of an old apple tree in the back of a shack on the edge of Swaffham. and he's describing the peddler's own house and I found a chest of gold but you think I'm going to waste my time crossing half of England in search of dream gold, not me and he looks and John Chapman's already gone he's racing back across Norfolk and he gets a shovel, digs beneath the old apple tree and sure enough, chest full of roman gold the road is along the journey hard that leads to gold in your own backyard mm. <laughs> but yeah, that that story what i was going to say is that that story is very specific to Swaffham, and in Swaffham church there's a lovely medieval carving in a pew end of the, of the peddler with his pack on his back and his little dog with a muzzle But in fact, as a motif, it's a story that turns up all over the world. The man or woman who has a dream that takes them somewhere and they're sent back to where they began. There are Russian and um, Persian, Irish versions of the same story, all with their specific place. So you have this strange dichotomy in a way. You have stories that are specific to a, a place but they're universal stories that have somehow been
0: shaped S- shape, to their, shape to to their that, geography that place. Okay. Yeah. when you're storytelling you're, you're doing a lot of walking too
1: well one of the things that initiated my interest in walking and story is, is the aboriginal idea of oh. the of the song line yes, this aboriginal idea that somehow the stories have sunk into landscape and as you're walking you're telling a narrative, and the next landmark to loom over the horizon is the next episode in a story which is mapping the journey that you're making. That had a big effect on me, and the idea that th- the landscape is impregnated with story. And at the same time, I came across an American psychologist called James Hillman, who talks about restoring the landscape. And I got very interested in that idea. Somehow, finding the stories of place and re-imbuing the landscape with the stories. I think people people value place in a different way if they have a sense of the narratives that are associated with it. So, in a way, the Belgian trip was part of that. You know, Joe and I were both interested in finding stories along the way, and then making a Sort of a song line for Belgium.
0: Just remind me, and also tell the listener. Yeah, who Joe.
1: Was. Yeah, Joe Bile, he's a, he's a Belgian storyteller, old friend of mine. As part of this journey across Belgium nine years ago, we took a a gypsy wagon and tried to engage people in conversation as we were travelling. Yeah, it was fun.
0: Recently, I've interviewed Tall Falcon, who's a uh, fabulous painter mm,
1: yeah, she is. and
0: drawer, we were investigating the Pedder's Way yeah. and came across work by yourself and work by your wife. So yes. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that all began.
1: Well, the Pedder's Way is a Roman road built immediately after the Budokan uprising uh, as a sort of military artery into the badlands of East Anglia. But it sits more or less on the Icknild Way, which is much, much older again, which really goes back to the trackway that followed the highest chalk land across England, probably Mesolithic, maybe 8,000 years old. It's the kind of final end of the Icknild Way. I got interested in, the again, the songline idea, really, of making a journey along the Pedder's Way, that was also a journey through time. With a singer, Helen Chadwick, and with my wife, Liz McGowan, who's a landscape artist, we devised a sequence of stories and songs and pieces of artwork up the length of the the Pedder's Way. Um, We led people on the walk, uh, interspersing it with story and song.
0: And these were stories that you wrote yourself?
1: They were stories that I wrote myself, yeah. And each of them embedded in a particular, an imagined moment in the history of human interaction with, with that line of, of the trackway. So it starts with a, with a sort of hunter-gatherer moment and goes through the Neolithic and the Roman and the Celtic and the, Anglo Saxon, medieval, eighteenth century, and then ends up the present tense as you hit the coastline.
0: And, and people, when they're walking the Pedders Way, which is one of the national trails, yeah. combined with the North Norfolk Coast Path, they actually encounter
1: Yeah, little little quotes from the performance which have been carved into the markers along the way.
0: Now tell us a little bit about What's Hugh and up to at the moment?
1: Well, I've been fairly recently writing a book on the Mabinogion, which is a cycle of Welsh legends. The four branches of the Mabinogion, again, very old. In fact, in places I think, you know, archaic, but very much tied again into landscape. So a lot of the sites of the stories can be visited. I've been telling many of the stories for years and years, but I was uh, commissioned to, to write a book and retell the stories as part of it. So the writing of it involved a lot of walking, especially in North Wales. My mum was from North Wales, so I I, have a, I feel a strong affinity with that part of Britain. And it was a pleasure to, to go there and just walk in the mountains and again, get a sense of this connection between narrative and place. And, and do you think
0: it's the rhythm of the walk as well that's significant? In the story? Rhythm, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I also learn stories by walking. I mean, regardless of where the story's from, but yeah, I find it's a tremendously helpful way of... Um, ju- yeah, it's, it's, I think it's to do with the rhythm, the, the rhythm of thought that goes with the rhythm of, of one's pace. And somehow the two come together. The, it's as though the, your pace becomes a pulse that carries the story forward. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I have children running and hiding when they see me coming because I spend quite a lot of time wandering these lanes, talking to myself. Not quite as mad as it used to seem. You know, people now you know, think I might be on a mobile phone. But when I first started telling stories, it was a serious sign of madness.
0: When someone's familiar with a place in which you're telling a story about, I can imagine they can sort of get a glimpse of of, of where and what you're talking about. But yeah. I imagine when you're talking about places which are either mythical or, or, or not where they're from, you have to build some elements around the location. How, how, do, you do, yeah. how do you do that?
1: Stories are a language of pictures, almost before they're a language of words and part of the function of a storyteller is to make pictures in the mind's eye of uh, his or her listeners It's really that's part of the art of storytelling I suppose it's in a way almost part of the shamanic function of storytelling you're looking into a landscape and moving through a landscape in your mind's eye as you're telling and trying to invoke and evoke the landscape and and the the characters of your story moving in the landscape as you as you're speaking and i think a strange telepathic thing happens when you're listening to a story if the if the teller can really see what they're saying then the audience will receive it as image in the mind's eye and uh, yeah part of if you're telling a story about a place which isn't familiar to the audience, one of the functions of a teller is to try and give some sense of it. If you're talking about the fens, those huge expanses of dark soil, if you're in Snowdonia, you know, evoking the mountains and the valleys, it's, uh, it's part of the work.
0: Hugh, I ask all my interviewees if they'd like to recommend us... A couple of walks, and uh, yeah. I think with you in mind, I'm afraid you're going to have to uh, come up with a story or two.
1: <laughs> well, the walk that we're doing today, I would recommend, starting at Borough Church, just south of Elsham, and following the, the River Bure, and when you when you reach the road at Oxnead, you pull a right and go back through the village of Brampton. It takes in two lovely churches, a beautiful medieval church at at Borough, and then Brampton has a classic Norfolk Round Tower, sort of Saxon church with actually with Brampton has a there was a Roman pottery here, so there are Roman bricks set into the wall of the church. And also, when you hit the road, you can, if you have a bit of time, keep on following the river, and it takes you to the back of Oxnead Hall, which was a huge, uh, late medieval hall, of which only one wing survives. Um, the Berlin family uh, owned it for a while, and it's very splendid to see across the water. So yeah, it's a rich, it's a rich walk.
0: I mean, you did mention earlier on that of your connection with uh, North Wales and is there a a walk there you'd
1: recommend? Yeah, there is. Um, I I spend quite a lot of time on the Feen Peninsula, the bit of Wales that juts out underneath Anglesey and there's a very lovely bit of coastline that you can follow starting at Nevin, uh, following the the coast road which is very well trodden um, in that part of North Wales to Morphanevin, following it through to, past the lovely pub, which is actually on the beach, to, there's a, a point, Nevin point, past the, a lifeboat um, house. And when you get to the point, very often there are seals, cormorants, and you can look across towards Anglesey, and very often, see the lighthouse at South Stack on Anglesey pulsing through the uh, misty air between you and and Hollyhead. Hmm.
0: That sounds quick to me. A story, yeah.
1: So um, this is a story about a character called Jack Osler. No- it's a Norfolk story, actually. Jack Osler's crossing a field and uh, he sees a hare, big brown hare, squatting in the field. And he's got his gun over his shoulder. He's thinking to himself, now then, if I were to kill that hare, I could take it to the butchers and sell it for half a crown. And for half a crown, I could buy a little rump piglet. And I'll take the piglet home and I'll fatten her up on scraps. And when she's big enough, I'll put a boar across her. And she'll give me a litter of little piglets. (laughs) And I'll sell a lot of them and I'll buy myself a cow. And I'll put a bull across the cow and she'll give me calves and she'll give me milk and I'll build up a nice little herd of cattle. And then I'll see if I can't marry old Weatherby's daughter from up on the big farm, and we'll get wed. And then there'll be a war and all Weatherby's sons will get killed. And old Weatherby himself will die of the gout And me and my wife will move up to the big farm with all its acres. And we'll be happy then. We'll have two sons. Great big strapping boys they'll be, but they'll be lazy. And they won't wake up in the mornings. And every morning I'll have to stand outside their bedroom door.
0: Wake up, you lazy beggars!
1: And with that, off went the hare, running across the field. And with it, all Jack Ostler's dreams.
0: You've been listening to Talking Walking brought to you by Rethinking Cities and the Museum of Walking. In this episode, you've heard from Hugh Lupton. If you have any views on this interview or any walking issues, we'd love to hear from you. Just follow the links on the Talking Walking website. We look forward to having you along for future episodes of Talking Walking. Recorded and produced by Andrew Stuck of Rethinking Cities Limited, our artwork is designed by Ian Martin of Aardvark Graphics, and the music is composed by Simon Sanders of Easy Tronic.